Welcome to Beyond the Dispensary. This episode, I'm speaking with Chloe Mintz, a second-year resident pharmacist currently working in Thursday Island. We discuss how Chloe ended up working in Thursday Island and what it's like to live and work in a rural and remote location. Let's get into it. So, Chloe, welcome. Thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited that you're my first guest. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me along. Now, you and I obviously met uh, first when we were working together at a tertiary hospital in Brisbane, um, but recently you've left for a pretty exciting opportunity, um, and I, I want to hear all about that today. Um, but maybe before we get there, if maybe you can just give us a bit of a self-introduction, um, maybe just briefly about your education and um, maybe what areas of practice you've worked in so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm Chloe Minns. I'm a, a second-year registered pharmacist. I uh, went to uni at University of Queensland and graduated there 2017. Um, I then did my internship at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, where I had been working for three years as a student as well. Um, and then after I finished my internship, I moved over to the Royal, which is where I met you, Sam, and then um, to do my residency program, so the SHPA residency program. Um, kind of throughout internship, you obviously rotate around different areas. Um, so I kind of got to see a lot of what the tertiary field and hospitals had to offer. Um, and then same thing with the residency. Yeah. So, um, I did my first rotation in medical and I was on a general medical team. Um, I did a couple of, uh, weeks in renal before starting that and then, uh, surgical, um, for the next six months. Uh, where I did um, acute surgery, liver, a bit of gen surge, and then I did a couple of months in vascular um, vascular surgery, and then I did oncology and mostly outpatient oncology, so like production and, um, uh, yeah, a little bit of wards there, so uh, in the production unit at the Royal. Um, then I started to do um, my elective rotation, which was crit care at the Royal, and then now I am up here on Thursday Island uh, in the Torres Strait. Uh, so I've kind of ch- converted this to my elective rotation within my residency, which is just an awesome opportunity. Yeah. It's amazing, you know, that you're a, um, this is your second year of registration and, and just hearing all the things that you've done. And, and now that you're doing, you know, this this cool work up in um, Thursday Island, which we'll get to, it's, it's really amazing. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the residency program, the SHPA residency program that we've, we've both done now, you know, really helped to facilitate that and get a, um, yeah. a lot of um, core experience across a number of rotations um, doing that. So it was absolutely. A- and I think it, um, for me, it kind of feels like this perfect accumulation of getting a variety of experience at big tertiary hospitals where I was the medical pharmacist, the surgical pharmacist, the oncology pharmacist, and now here at a rural site, you have to be everything. So um, it actually, I think, really helped. And um, it's definitely come in handy having a, a broad experience if, you know, only six months in each place. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely come in handy. So well, you better tell us then. So um, what what's your current role now? And, and how did you end up um, all the way at uh, Thursday Island? Yeah, yeah. So um, my current role, I'm the HP3 pharmacist at the Thursday Island Hospital. Um, so the Thursday Island Hospital is up in the Torres Strait, which um, if you don't have a map is right at the very tippy top of Queensland. Um, it's the kind of gap between um, the tip of Queensland of Australia and PNG. So um, it's, uh, it's a very remote location. Um, it, when I was flying here, 
Um, you know, you kind of, I went Brisbane to Cairns, Cairns to Horn Island, and then on a ferry from Horn Island to Thursday Island. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get out of here quickly if I need to leave. It's very uh, out of the way. Um, but it's quite a community here, particularly for the health professionals. Um, the hospital has, uh, it can have 26 beds. Um, I've only had up to 16 patients while I've been here. Um, and yesterday I had four, which was just about the lowest I've had in my working career. Wow, it's quite a quite a stark contrast from the you know close to thousand bed hospital that you've you've come from, I suppose. <laughs> That's right. I definitely got whiplash coming from neurosurgery at the Royal, which is just notoriously busy with you know over fifty patients sometimes, and then and then here. But um, yeah. So I guess this opportunity came about um, when I was just starting to keep in the back of my mind. Oh, I've got six months left on my residency. You know, my contract was two years and. I would have liked to stay at the Royal or like to explore something else. I was very open-minded about it. Um, and then this got advertised and um, ended up interviewing and getting offered the job. So I, uh, yeah, kind of spoke to my clinical educators at the Royal um, and friends and family and everything and just decided that the opportunity was too good to pass up. I, I've always really wanted to do a rural stint. So, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you gotta you got to jump at these opportunities. It's, it's so exciting and um yeah, what a what a life experience! Um, oh yeah, and more than anything else, I think it was just a life experience um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. How was, I'm interested? How was your your flight over to um, was it Horn Island? Was it like a tiny chartered plane? Or? Uh, yeah, so it's it's a Qantas plane. Um, only Qantas flies up here, but it's it's quite small. It's like a little dual propeller kind of Dash Eight plane. I built, I think it's called. So yeah, it's um. It was maybe one of the smallest planes I've been on. The only other smaller one was when I uh, was over in the Solomon Islands and that was that was much smaller. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit crazy when you're flying over um, just this gorgeous reef and I was really lucky to have a beautiful day when I was flying up. So it's kind of a nice little introduction to the to the area. Cool. So, um I, I mean, I don't feel like I have a great idea. What, can, you, can you tell us sort of what's a... What's an average day like for you up there on a work day? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I walk to work. Um, it's about a 10-minute walk from where I'm living. The island is about uh, five kilometres by three kilometres. It's it's definitely bigger than I thought it was going to be in terms of population. I think it's maybe two to 3,000 people. Um, it's kind of the hub of the Torres Strait. So there's uh, the schools are here, um, all of the government uh, buildings a lot of the businesses are here um, and then you know you've got your they call it the outer islands so the other islands in the Torres Strait um, and a lot of people will come here when their kids are at school or um, for work and whatnot um, so I walk to work uh, about 10 minutes and uh, I'm dripping with sweat by the time I get there um, <laughs> and they I kind of get into work and um, jump onto the ward print out my list which um uh, one of the biggest shocks to me was we don't, you know, we don't use patient flow manager here because there's just not really enough patients to warrant it. So we just use like a word spread document, um, print out my list. And then I have inserted myself into the ward rounds. Um, I don't think that was always done. It's funny how, how um, I guess, familiar with that kind of situation I am as well. I mean, when, when you, you, you go on to a new area of practice where, where maybe um, certain clinicians aren't sort of used to having a pharmacist so front and center, it can be, um, there can be that little bit of a barrier at first. But 
I think at least in my experience, you know, if you if you pay your dues and you um you, you show your value, you can very quickly turn that around to, you know, them sort of looking for you on the rounds, which is which is really rewarding when that starts to happen. So yeah, it's always a really nice moment where, um, you know, they kind of say, oh wait, where's pharmacy? We can't start without them, and that's always a really nice kind of moment where you realise that you've um, you've really been accepted into the team and you've kind of worked your way up to that um kind of involvement so that's been yeah that's been really good here and um you know the rounds they can go for a long time on a medical team but you know sometimes it can be really quick fire and then they they blow through and they say all right xyz jobs to do but because we have you know um there's a lot of coordination up here for example with patient transport and um you know, organizing things that we kind of do the jobs as we go along. So the ward round for like a, you know, 10 patient ward can go until midday or later kind of thing, um, which is really nice because it gives you the opportunity to work through it with the patient, with the team at that point in time. And is, is most of that is most of that complexity just around sort of uh, making sure that patients have safe discharge facilitation and, yeah. and the re- does the remoteness make it difficult? Yeah, absolutely. That's just been a huge kind of learning curve for me here. Um, you know, we, I, I would say the helicopter, so we have a helipad right outside of the hospital and, and you're hearing something land like, I don't know, four or five times a day maybe. Um, and so the helicopters oh. kind of go out to the remote islands and collect the patients around the islands as the primary health clinics um, that are manned by like one nurse or maybe a nurse and an Indigenous health worker. And they have to manage anything that comes through their door until the retrieval team can go out and get them. Um, yeah, that's an incredible amount of responsibility for for, for a, you know just a few people, isn't it? Oh goodness, yeah. Um, there's yeah been some kind of uh, you know scary situations, I'm sure, for them where you know if they get more than one person through the door at the same time, just managing that, and you know particularly if you had some someone who was like really critically unwell managing that until the retrieval team can get in um get them bring them to the hospital here and then if it's um if it's kind of beyond uh if it needs tertiary care which um a lot of them may do um for example we don't have a ct scanner on the island so um if they need a ct they're going to have to be flown out to cairns um so that's been a really big um learning curve for me about kind of liaising with these primary health clinics who have managed the conditions in the communities you know they have signing sheets there's a whole new world of um uh like paperwork that I wasn't really aware of there's you know we have like the national inpatient medication chart and they also have the uh rural and remote um supply sheets so um the nurses are endorsed to supply medications um because there's obviously no pharmacist on site um and kind of re-establishing my role and how it relates into this kind of new context has been uh, pretty challenging, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I guess there is, you know, when you're so remote, there has to be a little bit of um, scope of practice overlap, doesn't there? Oh, 100%. And, and I think that's been, um, you know, everyone here obviously has been working in that context for a while and, and the nurses are very independent. Obviously, they work with um, the team hugely, but, yeah, there's been some times where I'm like, oh, wait, I usually do that. Why are you guys doing that? But they're just kind of used to making it happen because, um, you know, there might not be a pharmacist or a doctor around. So, And so I guess as, as clinical pharmacists, we're, we're very used to, um, you know, checking charts and um, talking with patients to take medication histories and uh, making sure all of that is sort of reflected on the chart. 
appropriate and and doing all those clinical pharmacy things like making sure doses are safe and looking for drug interactions. Is there anything sort of in, in clinical practice that you found different up there? Some of the limitations we have up here in regards to monitoring um, have just been different. So we don't do vancomycin levels here. We don't we don't have the ability to do them. Um, and wow, you know, sure. as any pharmacist who's worked with vancomycin knows, it's just an absolute pain. So sometimes we have to start them on vancomycin and we'll give it kind of 24 to 48 hours. And if it looks like they're going to need to continue on it, then we have to send them to cans just by virtue of the fact it needs monitoring, even if it, you know, is something that we might have been able to manage if we had, if we were able to do that, or, you know, if someone's requiring that long, you know, they're probably better off to get down to a tertiary. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a very interesting to me. I said, oh, okay, so we'll do this level, you know, at this time I said, no, no, we don't do levels here. Oh, okay. It was, yeah. And, and also, um, I guess you were saying like a medication history taking that um, I feel like half the fun has been taking out of it up here because the hospital is so um, heavily integrated with the community. So the doctors that we have on hand are GP rural generalists. They kind of, you know, a lot, uh, the most commonly used phrase I think in a tertiary centre is oh, GP to follow up. But because you're working with the GP who will see them in the community, but they're also um, you know, a generalist, they work in hospital as a gen med practitioner, as an obstetric practitioner, they are more than happy to make that decision. So, um, you know, the GP profiles, uh, the GP note taking, we call it best practice. I have access to that. So I can see their GP notes and their medications uh, prescribed. And then I can also log on to the town pharmacy, the um, Thursday Island pharmacy in the community. I can log on to their profile and see their Webster pack. Um, so it's kind of taken some of the fun out of the sleuthing we have to do in a medication history. You can retire the detective skills for a little bit. Uh, for a little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, um, but I think what that's meant for me is that my um, patient kind of talking, the, the role has very much become more of an educational-based role. Um, I spend a bit of time talking to my patients about their medications and um, doing adherence assessments um, and answering any questions they might have, which I think has actually been a really good uh you know, change of pace, less administrative, more clinical. So, oh, that's that's fantastic. It's so rewarding when you can do that, and I and I I know personally, I'm I'm guilty of, um, I guess, sort of getting caught up in the in the you know goings on of the workday that you you sort of let that lapse a little bit, which is you know really what you you should be there for at the end of the day to well exactly keep patients keep patients safe, but you know to to be that point of medication information for the patient. So yeah, it's nice for to sure. you doing that up there. Cool. So you've mentioned some of the challenges of the role. I'm no TDM and working with with GP generalists. Um, what, what have you found enjoyable about the role? Um, I think what I was saying about being able to kind of have more of a patient connected role. I mean, you know, at the bottom line of our job is is the patient, and we should always be focusing around that. But I think whilst the complexity of the patients, I, I wouldn't say it's any less. Um, there can be some really sick people up here. Um, and, you know, have some really interesting and complex conditions that we're managing in hospital, being able to, to refocus my time on them, you know, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, there's less of them and the variety. I really enjoy the variety. Um, in the past week, I've had sepsis. I've had pediatric eczema that was superimposed with a bacterial infection. 
epilepsy management um, for a child out on a remote community, just a lot of different and interesting things and, and all, again, overlaid by the fact that it's uh, such a remote location and trying to facilitate all of these changes, uh, you know, before the helicopter gets here. And I've really enjoyed that that part of it um, and getting to refocus my attention on the patient. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a good example of um, being able to get out of, outside your comfort zone and, and really benefit from that. I, I can only imagine you're going to be a, a, a much better clinician um, from this experience, you know, when or if you do come back to Brisbane. There's been some um, times up here that I've, I've kind of encountered things that I just never would have thought about or come across in, in tertiary hospitals. You know, there was a, um, I was leaving kind of, uh, you know, five o'clock and I, I just swung past the emergency you know, ED and said, oh, you know, any kind of expected coming in patients? And they said, oh, yeah, there's um, there's someone flying in from Saibai Island, which is um, quite, uh, it's essentially the last bit of Australia before you reach PNG. You can see PNG from standing on Saibai Island. And they said, oh, yeah, someone's coming from Saibai with, um, with a snake bite. And I said, oh, okay, you know, do we know the snake? Do you need me to go grab the antivenom from pharmacy? And said, oh, honestly, no, um, you know, I, they one, they've probably given it to them up there and two, it's such a long flight that they'll either be dead or fine by the time they get here. You know, the, the, the venom will have had time to, to work by the time they get to us. So, wow. no, nah, it's all right. Like, they'll, they'll be okay. And, and they have access to pharmacy after hours anyway. So, yeah. And I guess I'm interested, um, did you, have you had any sort of formal or maybe self-education that you've had to pursue to sort of be effective in this role or has it just sort of been roll with the punches and, and, and learn as you're going? Um, there's definitely been a lot of rolling with the punches. Um, I, I, I really think that the residency program um, helped because I've had that kind of broad experience. You know, again, if, if only for six months in an area kind of, a broad experience to bring to the table here um you know we do have some surgical lists that go on up here so having you know been through a surgical rotation has been helpful and um gen medicine is is really important up here there's a lot of gen med admissions i've had to really quickly upskill in pediatrics i'd never really worked with pediatrics before so i've done a lot of kind of self-directed learning um in that realm and there's um yeah i've kind of been yeah doing a lot of my own reading since I've been up here and I've, I've asked you Sam for some of your research sources from um, an emergency point of view because again I'm the emergency pharmacist here as well so um, that's been uh, that's been really a kind of I think the focus for me is just having taking time for myself to upskill because it will be needed eventually so um, and maybe it's a bit early to say. I mean, you've been up there six weeks now. Is that right? Uh, nearly two months, so seven, seven and a half, or something like that. Okay. Do you, do you think this is sort of an area of practice you'd you'd like to continue on for a little bit? That sort of you know rural and remote work, or um, do you, do you think you'll be ready to come back to a more metropolitan sort of area of practice? I think I will eventually be ready to come back to a metro area. I'm really enjoying my time here and I'm definitely not looking to rush off anytime soon. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I'm enjoying it for now. How long that lasts, I think I'm just really going to play it by ear. Um, and I, I could definitely see myself coming back to kind of a rural or remote um, practice definitely in the future. So, And is that sort of, I guess, an, an idea of, um, future, you know, specialization for you? Do you have any other sort of ideas about where your career might end up? 
Oh, that's a that's a really good question. And I think um, I've always said that I get like career FOMO, so like fear of missing out. I just want to do everything. <laughs> I really want to um, really want to do as much as I can and kind of gain as much experience as I can because I I, I don't think we work in silos. You know, you can have uh, a patient and and you know as as kind of healthcare improves, we see patients with more and more comorbidities. So you really can't practice in a silo because your, you know, medical patient will have surgical, you know, considerations, your cardiology patient will have diabetes and, you know, everything else. So I think it all, it all factors in. And, um, but I, I, I do really find myself drawn to um, things like emergency and, um, kind of critical care because I like that fast pace and, um, I like being really hands-on. Um, but rural is a really good way to do that as well. Do, do you have any advice for uh, maybe either pharmacy students who are coming to the end of their degree or, or maybe an early career pharmacist? Um, we're both reasonably early career pharmacists. Ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was going to say, oh, early career pharmacists, I'd like some advice. But um, my uh, yeah, I think my biggest advice to students and I think you know, I hope that they're hearing this a lot these days is not to get too hung up on their um, GPA. I know I certainly did when I was at uni, um, but it's it's definitely not the be all and end all of getting into, um, you know, hospital or, or wherever you want to, to be. But I think there's a lot of focus on GPA at uni and that doesn't really translate to whether or not you'll be a good clinical pharmacist. So um, more and more they're moving towards, you know, values-based recruitment. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, and then early career pharmacists, I guess the advice I've taken is just try everything. So it's probably a good advice to give. I'm interested because I, I, you know, I guess as I was sort of talking to you about before the show, I, I'm, I'm really doing this as a, a bit of a project to try and highlight some of these interesting roles that, um, people like yourself can get into with, with through pharmacy and I I think going through undergrad pharmacy I it wasn't it wasn't really advertised that well you know we, we, we sort of knew about community pharmacy obviously and and knew a little bit about um, clinical practice in hospital pharmacy but um, even the jobs that you know some of our colleagues have in hospital and the work that you're doing it's just you know I never even would have would have known that that existed so is there anyone else that you you think I should I should talk to anyone else um, amazing pharmacists or anyone that you've worked with um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely think of a few pharmacists that are out. Well, a lot of pharmacists, there's amazing people out there that are doing some awesome things. There's, um, last year I did some volunteering, uh, in the Solomon Islands with a group called Solutions Palmarovo. Um, and one of the organizers of that, uh, organization, um, is actually a pharmacist and, uh, she is an Australian pharmacist who moved out there, um, after going on one of these volunteering uh, trips and, and kind of fell in love with one of the organisers there and they now have their family out there. Um, and as an Australian pharmacist doing kind of working in that role and setting up a, you know, not-for-profit organisation to deliver healthcare in a an area that needs some needs some help to boost their local infrastructure, I think, yeah, she's doing a really amazing thing. So that's Katie with Solutions Palmarovo. If you can get a chat to her, I would be... I would think that would be a good <laughs> that idea. That would be amazing. Yeah, that um, that sounds like quite a high-profile guest. Um, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes to show, you know, like you you really can sort of pave your own way. You don't have to be um, sort of limited by um, you know the traditional areas of practice that you you know about as an undergrad. Um, there's a lot you can mm, do um, yeah. with with pharmacy, and, and shouldn't necessarily be limited to 
um, you know, the usual things that we think about. No, 100%. Cool. Well, I think we can probably almost wrap it up. Um, this has been fantastic. But I'm always interested in what other people are sort of reading about or um, I'm a big, big podcast fan, which is maybe why I'm making one. But um, are you listening to anything at the moment or are you reading anything at the moment, either pharmacy or, or medicine or otherwise? That's a good question. I'm actually looking for some kind of um, podcast for pharmacy related to get into. So thankfully you're coming up with a whole new one, which is just great, more content. Um, I mean, I've been reading um, a lot of kind of free open access medicine education stuff that's available online at the moment. So um, Life in the Fast Lane is bookmarked on my on my desktop at the moment. And um, yeah, MCRIT um, is another one. Um, I follow a lot of people on Twitter um, and they kind of have always got some pearls of wisdom and interesting things to read. So that's probably a suggestion I would make to early career pharmacists is follow people on uh, social media um, because you're seeing change happen in real time. Mm, That is is definitely Um, advice that I should take up. I I don't have a Twitter (laughs) account, but everyone that I I talk to says that's, um, you know, it's that, you know, that's where sort of papers are being shared these days and that sort of thing, which is just incredible. Well, that's it. I saw this really interesting quote the other day, and I, I'm not going to be able to attribute it to anyone. I can't remember, but it was something along the lines of, um, "If you want to know what we were doing, you know, 20 years ago, look at a textbook. If you want to know what we were doing 10 years ago, read a journal article. If you want to know what we're doing today, get online and and you know talk to each other and and hear from the people that yeah, are doing absolutely. it." Absolutely, um, and I I think that rings very true. Awesome. Uh, Chloe, thanks so much. Um, I really appreciate you, you coming on and, and battling all the problems with the internet and phone lines up there. It's, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, no worries at all. I'm glad you caught up me on a day where the internet was up at all. We've had a couple of days of outage in the last few weeks. So thanks so much for having me along and I'm keen to hear more from your other guests on the podcast. Nice one, Chloe. Talk soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Beyond the Dispensary. Stay tuned for more episodes coming up real soon.